kids' room now. So as they, they do that, let me give you a warning. Oh, hang on. Now that, all right, we're good. All right, so the warning is this. My normal process um, in, in the house as I prepare for, for sermons is, uh, is pretty basic. Uh, it started out when we moved into this house that I had an office, but now the kids have a playroom. Um, so I've got a little space kind of in a little cubby upstairs where the roof kind of leans in, and I've got a um, fellowship hall white folding table and a chair. It's office enough. So I, I sit up there with many, many cups of coffee and a notepad and a pen, and I just go to town, and stuff always gets thrown away. And it's nice because the, the, the you know, slanting down ceiling behind me, it's a good bank shot, and they just pile up on the floor. Now, most of the time when I throw papers away, it's because I look at it like, yep, that doesn't make sense. Going to have to keep boiling that one down. This one was, ooh, that's too ranty and angry. And there's a lot of rants. This is, it, was a, it was a week for rants for me. So was, some of it is the scripture. Some of it is, uh, is this. But we are starting uh, a series on the seven letters to the churches at the beginning of the book of Revelation. Now, if you grew up in churches like me, your church probably had one or two people that were revelation people i mean they were like they would be happy about like whatever the sermon was like but but if if the preacher got up and mentioned turn into revelation jack that page was marked they were there they had like their their bible and revelation looked like it had been written on by a toddler i mean it was just like just anyway you know the people and they were all about it and and you shouldn't talk to them about it and i'm not saying like be nice to them but if you got into a conversation with them about this stuff you were going to be there a while and it was going to involve like math and charts and graphs and and you know it's kind of like that meme of the guy with the crazy yarn chart behind him trying to explain his conspiracy there's always that guy matthew shared uh, a quote with me or text him back and forth this week and it's it's from one of my very favorite authors um gk chesterton and it's i think that he's right about this he said through all of saint john the evangelist of all the things he saw the strange monsters in his vision he saw no creatures quite as wild as one of his own commentators and, and the idea of some of the folks that get into this stuff man they are really into it i'm not that person so when, when, when they say, I'm, now I'm, I'm not critical of them because I'm even stranger. Like if you say, hey, we're going to do, do a series on like First Kings. Like, <laughs> fantastic, let's go. I got it written. Just nobody wants to hear it. Revelation is just not, it's one of the books where like I'll, I've read it and, you know, I, I like it, but it's not going to be my go-to. I'm not, I'm not like a, I'm not, a revelation aficionado so what what you'll get with me on this is not charts and graphs and mathematical equations about predicting which of the millennial ages we may or may not be in you'll hear no post-trib mid-trib pre-trib you'll hear none of it because it's just not my gig fine if it is but that's not me um but for this series we're talking about the letters to churches. So in the first three chapters, um, in the first three chapters, John is instructed to record letters to seven churches in kind of the area of Asia Minor. So if you would, go ahead 
uh, and turn to the first chapter of Revelation, one of the easier books to find. It's at the end. So I, I brought um, an iPad with me. I, I was trying to think of, like, how can we make this transition from Matthew easier, and our, our elders are joking about bringing in elements of it, and I can't wear skinny jeans, so I'm thinking maybe use an iPad. Um, but, but I just couldn't pull, I couldn't pull the trigger. So, um, so I, 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 it is what it is. So anyway, maybe you'll get, like, a Matthewism, or I'll say a phrase in the middle of this that's very clearly meant to to poke fun but you get you get old school paper with me that's just what it is so um we'll just start out in verse one real quick I want to read through some of this and then um set some context to our story the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place he made it known by sending his angel to the servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ to the faithful, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom, priest to, go, uh, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So to, to begin, he's set, setting the stage here with this vision. Um, he is given and you read through the rest of the book, but he's given this vision and instructed here at the beginning specifically to give individual messages to churches. And it's set up that he's been given this prophecy that God is giving it to him. And you see this, these words of finality, the, the terms of I, I am who was and who is and who is to come. I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. You see this language of the power of God and the vision we read in a second, you're going to see and the, the, the imagery in here is one of power. So in the gospel, you see Jesus as intentionally meek. When he could have been otherwise, he was not. But in this vision to John, you see something quite different. I'm going to read just a little bit further and then set the stage a little bit with what I think is going on. Starting in verse 9, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom, the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, 
to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So John's on Patmos, and let me, let me describe kind of where we are here. So um, if you're a geography buff, so no? Okay. So Asia Minor, so think modern-day Turkey. It's kind of in that neighborhood. Um, so uh, Israel, Judea is kind of down here. Well, hang on, I'll do it. So you uh, so flip it so it makes sense. So over here, then you got the Mediterranean, then Asia Minor is kind of right here. So you're, there's a bunch of islands out in the Mediterranean and the Aegean Sea, and one of them is Patmos. And Patmos is not a place, think of it like an, uh, an all-inclusive resort. And by all-inclusive resort, I mean prison. That's kind of what you're looking at. Um, so when he says I'm there on account of the gospel, it is not like I've been invited to preach at the beach because the church there thought I was really good. It's I've made enough trouble. They've sent me there because how much trouble can you possibly make on Patmos? Patmos is very, very small, very, very remote. It's the kind of place you send people if you don't want to kill them because that cause too much fuss, but you don't want to see them again. I mean... I don't hate the internet, but it's, it's a little more isolated than we are. We've got the interstate. Patmos uh, did not. So, so John is there on Patmos. And he said, you know, I was, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. The cynic in me says, you're on Patmos. What else you got to do? Um, and, and, and he gets this vision from God. And he's to write down these things. So to give you a little sense of, of distance here, right? These seven churches... Um, they're somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 miles apart. Typically, you can kind of draw a circle around them as far as where they are geographically, but 50 miles, if you have to walk it, is what we call in traveling terms a long way. Um, so, so we feel separation, right? So uh, if any of my people in Utah come back and, and watch this, in real terms, we're much closer to them than these churches were to each other, right? I, I can jump out in the van and be in Cedar City, Utah way before you could have like gotten on your feet in Ephesus and walked to Smyrna. Just, it, it, it's not even close. And it's also much less pleasant to walk across Asia Minor in chunks of 50 miles. So, so they're very isolated from one another. And they also don't have the advantage that we have. Like, So at the beginning of this, when I said, hey, turn to this book, we have a set Bible that, that we turn to and we can all, all kind of speak out of the same language. These early churches didn't have that either. Maybe they had sp- like kind of sprinklings of what would become the gospel. They had some early records from some of the disciples. The apostles may have visited there, but they didn't have, they were working on a real basic set of information. They, they knew the basics about what Jesus did. They maybe had some leaders that understood it well, but it's a very difficult situation. There's not a lot of communication there's not a lot of common ground, all right? And then you add in the fact that Asia Minor at this time is also, just like Judea was, kind of a sub-province of the Roman Empire. Now, time period, I could get into why the, the scholars think what they think about when this was written, but I'm not terribly interested. We think it's about year 75. So if you think death of Jesus, add 40 years, you're right there in the ballpark. So if you're wondering if maybe in the time period between Caesar Augustus and now if things had gotten better for religious minorities in the Roman Empire, they in fact had not. They'd gotten quite a bit worse. So you had, uh, if you've ever heard of names like um, Nero, 
Um, we think this might be at the very tail end of Nero's reign, maybe a little bit after that, maybe as far out as... I can't get into Roman Empire stuff because then people look at me like I've grown a third eye because I'm a dork. So the emperor is not nice. He is not favorably disposed to people who call themselves Christians, which I don't think they would have called themselves yet. But it, I digress. So you have... You have legitimate persecution of the church. Let me explain legitimate persecution to you. It is not COVID numbers look bad so you can't meet in your building. Okay? It's also not um, they make my bakery bake a cake for a wedding that I didn't like. These things aren't persecution. Persecution is they get hundreds of Christians and line the walkway to the imperial palace with them and crucify them and light them on fire as kind of night lights. That's persecution, right? Being fed to lions, that, that's persecution, right? Compared, John, I don't even think, would have said being sent to Patmos is persecution. If you were sent to an isolated island to live away from everyone else because they didn't like your faith, you'd think that was persecution. John really didn't seem to be blinking an eye on this. He mentions being on Patmos just like, yeah, well, whatever. That's where I am, right? So the church is legitimately persecuted. They have very little information. They're separated from one another. And the Roman Empire that they are a part of not only makes laws that are unchristian, it makes laws that are anti-Christian. The, the some of the laws, hunt them down, kill them all. If they're all dead, the problem's solved. Go take care of it. So that's kind of the context of where we are. So the, the problem with context is it's, it's tricky, right? We've all seen people that are more than happy to use the Bible without context. And you can make the Bible say just about whatever you want it to say, right? So I, why is it that, that all of the kind of name it and claim it, blab it and grab it kind of prosperity gospel types, um, why is it that they've got a verse to back up all of their kind of sideways theology? It's because if you want to use the verse the wrong way, you can make the Bible into a weapon, not the Bible. And, and that's, kind of, that, that's kind of where they are. So we want to be careful with it, right? But even if our context is wildly different, there's some lessons in here that I think are timeless. As the elders go through these letters, the thing I would like to see our church do is to look at the message there. What is the church being said about what its first love should be? What is the church being told about the sins to be careful for that creep up on you when you're not being watchful? right because those things are timeless because you can be like if you can let your first love be replaced by something else in Asia Minor in the year 75 you can absolutely let it happen in West Point Georgia in 2021 right so the years can be terribly different but there's messages in here that are the same and Revelation is a book you got to be careful with. There, there are some points later in this where I see it kind of abused and people act like it's soothsaying. That's not what we're after here. But we do think that as the Holy Spirit spoke to the churches in Asia Minor, that there are messages for us. And so here's, um, I, I knew it would be ranty, and I threw the rants away, and then I ranted anyway. It, yeah, it is what it is. So, so the, the question 
one day I'm going to have to use the iPad because I can't read my own handwriting, and then I'll be strangely morphing into Matthew, and the joke, the jo the joke, the joke will be on me. Um, so anyway, so you look at the letters to the seven churches, uh, the trends that are going on, and the overall message that you get. And this is, I'm not talking each individual letter, but the message of Revelation, and the one that I want to leave us with today is this. We get to see the back of the book, right? So anybody in here take a math class and math, like you had the questions and the answers were back there. And so then you had to do this kind of weird thing where like you wanted to just use the answers, but then your teacher would be like, show me the work. And like, and I didn't want to because I didn't know how to do the work. That's why I went to the back of the book to get the answer. And this is, all right, so we know the back of the book. We know kind of how this ends. And no matter how bad it looks, right? A lot of the message here, John has the nerve, John has the nerve to write to churches that have people that are being killed and say, hey guys, Jesus is in control of all of this, right? He, that, that he is the alpha and the omega, he's the beginning and the end. He was, he is in the midst of all of this and he always will be, right? This finality of it. And, and the question is that, that's left for, I think, these churches and, and for us as well, if we believe, so take the uncertainty of our own world, right? If we believe that the God we serve and the God that has called us is and always was and always will be is the Alpha and the Omega, and in the end, the story and the gospel will win. How do we behave in our world, right? Think of the way that, that Jesus operated so differently than people that were worried about what was in front of their face, right? Think, think of the episodes that come to mind. The woman at the well. How differently Jesus treats her than everyone else in that town the leper that walks up and Jesus you ever have your kid answer like ask a question and then you start answering it and you realize it's not the kind of question you should answer to a child Luke asked me what leprosy was and I started to explain it leprosy is disgusting right like well it's a disease son where parts of your body start rotting and then they fall off that's gross oh and you, you can catch it if you touch people well, what does Jesus do he walks up and he touches the leper right or um, Jesus is being arrested and he knows what is going to happen to him at the end. Of, you know, the crucifixion is what awaits him at the end of the road where he's being arrested. And Peter jumps out at one of the guards and cuts their ear off, which seems like not, I've never understood if Peter just wasn't good with a knife or that's what he thought was going to stop the arrest, but whatever. So he cuts the ear off and then what Jesus says goodness y'all people are dense how did you miss the point so badly don't you get it if I if I wanted to I could call down an army of angels and we end this whole thing this is the way it has to be right I'm this arrest my death it's, it's in the plan it's so different because he wasn't worried about winning that moment he knew how the story was going to end think about the world that we live in any of y'all pull up social media this week did any of you just kind of instantly become slightly more 
cynical and depressed than you were before and shut it down because it just seemed hopeless right I mean you pull it up and oh and and it's like people that you like are saying things that you hate and then you just hate all of it and you just like oh whatever I'm done it's the world is you know it seems like it's in a bad place and it seems so out of control and then we feel this is the kicker we feel that we need to react in some way like we need to have an opinion we got to react we need to do something about this and I wonder that if Jesus was here the way he was present and physically here in Judea in you know year 30 I wonder if his reaction wouldn't be 180 degrees different than ours right because that person that has what you deem to be unacceptable political opinions pretty sure Jesus died for him right right that that person that is saying things that you just get so angry or just gonna do the, the most consequential thing that you possibly can and unfriend them <laughs> right that'll show them uh, I wonder if that's what he would have done right so you look at it here and and there's I think a cautionary tale for the church as as you're looking at, at all of this there's the message that that Jesus does send to the church in these letters which is make sure your first love stays your first love and, and we'll, we'll get into them we, we see all of that there's the message that you do get but I think it's very interesting to consider after you get the message that the gospel wins you see the end of the book everything that's going on is in our control live like you believe that there's something you don't see right you do not see all right church in Ephesus this Nero he ain't cutting it we need to get a Christian in the imperial palace we need to control Rome's government because then we can set up Rome the way we would. You don't see that. You, you, you see Jesus, it's just not even mentioned, right? It's Christians are being killed by the thousands and it hardly makes a mention in the book because Jesus is like, yeah, not, not the point. We're still on mission here. The gospel is still going on. I'm still in control. And there's not this sense of going and doing that. And, and I wonder, you know, the church did a good job with that for a while. And then there's an emperor named Constantine that converted to Christianity and Christians got a taste for power. And they never looked back. And I would, I would wager that most of the great sins of the church come from that marriage of the church and political power that it was never supposed to covet because there's never anything in here that's transactional right there's never a all right if we could kill Nero and get this other guy in he's not perfect I know he's got some sins but he'll get this law passed so we're going to partner with him there's nothing transactional about Christian morality there's nothing in there about just accept a little evil because look we get this law in the book except a little evil because we accomplished this good 
And I'm not saying anything about voting patterns. The Christians in America go and, and vote and have opinions. But there's a difference between having opinions and proposing a story and going and vote and marrying that to the mission of the church. And I think that we've gone a little bit too far. And when you see what's going on in Rome, you see what's going on in Asia Minor, you see the suffering of these seven churches. I think it's safe to say that it's worse than what's happening in America in 2021. Full stop. No reservations in saying that. And at no point in this story does Jesus say, you know what we need to do? We need to replace an emperor. That's never in there. And so the challenge that I think would be here for us that I think is something worth considering is this. What would it look like for you and me to live in the here and now like we really believed what we know to be true in the back of the book? What would we not be as worried about if we really had faith that Jesus that gave the vision to John is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. What people would we view with more grace if we really believed that our God was and is and is to come? What is it that we're panicked about and driven to fear and confusion with that we would ignore entirely if we truly believed what Jesus was saying here. And I think that's troubling because I think that my life looks a lot different. So what I would say is this. What, what is the mission that we're tasked with? What is the message? How does the church react in 2021? And so I, I, this is what I would just go with for now. It's a start. You pull up the headlines and you see everything falling apart. You see this terrible thing happening. You see your neighbor that's angry with you for something that you don't even really know. And you know that you're given the ministry of reconciliation. How, how do we react? Well, how about this? We love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. We love our neighbor as ourself. That's a good one, right? Right? What if we bound up the hurting and we cared for the poor and the widow and the orphan? Those that were without power and, and injured found friends in us. What if that's what we're known for? Right? So what if instead of worrying about whether or not a judge or a law was pro-life, what if the single mom that just found out that she's pregnant and has nothing knew that this church loved her and loved that child and wanted to be alongside them every step of the way what if we're as worried about that as we are about other stuff and, and the challenging thing I came up with and then I'll, I'll stop what if we worry so much about the other stuff because we know it will never cost us anything? So, God, today, I want to thank you.
I want to thank you that you are so consistent. I want to thank you that you were and that you are and that you are to come. I want to thank you that you are our Alpha and our Omega and that if the world around us crumbles, if our very nation crumbles to the ground and, and the entirety of what we think we know in the world falls apart, that your gospel is true, that your love for us is never ending, and that the role you've called us to never changes. Over this congregation, I pray as we go through these letters that we would hear your spirit speaking to us spoke to these seven churches hear your word as you would have here and now understand it God may we be as constant as our Lord is we pray in your name